All right. Now, um, this time I have two stories for you. Um, so, double feature. The first story is set in inner city Chicago in the 1920s. Okay, you got it? Scene is the YMCA, which at that time, those initials really meant um, the Young Men's Christian Association. It was a Christian organization working to help young men in need. The men who came to that building were usually pretty desperate. When they came in, they were greeted at the door by my great-grandfather, a man called Horace Peach. I know that's a funny name. Even funnier than Chad. Um, but that was his name, Horace. So Horace did not have to be, um, he didn't have to be at the door greeting people like that. He had been offered higher positions in the hierarchy of the YMCA. Uh, he had been offered, they wanted to promote him. Uh, he could have been upstairs in an office making decisions for the organization. He could have had a lot more influence, more control. Uh, he could have had a more noticeable title, more significant salary. But he turned all of that down because he wanted to stay at the door. Because he wanted to be the first one to welcome the hopeless strangers that came in looking for help. And for years and for decades, that's exactly what he did. And for countless desperate cases, he welcomed them as they came in to the YMCA. Uh, I once had a chance to read his journal, which I was very excited about. He kept a daily journal. And honestly, it was really boring. Um, no offense to him, but like he wrote down what he did every day, but it was really, really ordinary. It was stuff like, uh, I went to the hardware store and I bought some pipe. That's it. That was the entry for the day. Um, gripping, gripping stuff. I, I couldn't finish it. Uh, but uh, there you go. That was, what, that was the kind of thing he was doing. And he, I, don't know, I have no idea why he wrote it down, but um, he did. And it, it was, his whole life was that way, though. It was just doing really ordinary things. Um, he was... Um, but he, he was very... Um, this is, this is just, yeah, the shape of his life. When the Great Depression hit in America, he, was, uh, he had not taken those promotions, so he didn't have much of a salary. Great Depression hit hard. He lost his house, um, all that he had put into it. They had to start over in a new place. His boss at the YMCA found out and said, why didn't you tell us that you were in financial trouble? We would have actually, you know, we would have helped you out. And he said he didn't want to burden the YMCA organization, because um, they were helping people who were more in worse situations than he was. So he didn't even tell them. That was just his attitude. And so his own family had to start over and, and restart on a new mortgage. Uh, but they did make it through. Uh, Horace kept serving at the YMCA, and um, when he died... Uh, after he died, my, my grandmother described him in telling me about him. My grandmother said, uh, she said, when he talked to you, you felt important. Which is pretty cool, isn't it? Um, and he talked that way to everyone. 
didn't matter who you were. You would talk to you. You would feel important because you were important to him. It didn't matter who you were, where you came from, what you were struggling with. He thought you were important, and he treated you that way. And he spent his life serving important people that the rest of the world was overlooking on the streets of Chicago. So when he died, uh, his obituary summarized his life with four words. Friend of the friendless. That's my great-grandfather, Horace Peach. Second story. Also inner city Chicago, this time in the 1970s, 50 years later. The scene this time is the Sears Tower, which at the time um, was the tallest building in the world, an icon of power and wealth. And my great-grand... I mean, I'm sorry, my grandfather... Robert Peach, who was a son of Horace, uh, had an office in the Sears Tower, a prominent one. He had worked his way up uh, from the little that he had growing up. He had worked his way up uh, in, in Sears and actually become the manager of the quality control division at Sears, Roebuck & Company, which was the largest retailer in the world at the time. It was kind of like the Amazon of, of those days, right? Uh, actually, he had created the quality control division. Uh, and by doing so, he was one of the founding fathers of kind of, at the time, a global movement of quality control. Like this was, this was happening. Uh, they were establishing quality standards, standards around the world in various industries. Uh, he wrote books that helped companies implement these standards. He, he worked with the World Bank to bring quality management training to developing nations. He was involved in all sorts of things like this. But uh, Robert, or Bob as they called him, he didn't actually think that he was inventing anything new by creating these quality systems and these quality standards. What he did, what he thought of as his work was what he was doing. He was a, the, fundal, the fundamental principles of quality control. He saw those as a reflection of the character of God. So he was basically, in his mind, he was just taking what he knew about God and applying it to his industry. And he didn't stop there. He applied God's character to other parts of his life as well. So he had received... God's generous grace to him in saving him. And that made him generous in other parts of his life. He tried to apply that to other parts of his life, like his personal finances. Um, so he became very generous. One time his accountant said to him, he was doing his taxes, he said, how can I put this much giving on your taxes? Nobody will believe it which was actually true. The tax collectors did not believe it, so they audited him because it looked suspicious. But the giving was real. They just gave huge amounts of money to, to missions uh, around the world, to local ministries and their church and the area around them. Um, Bob and his wife, my grandmother, Shirley, uh, they lived in an ordinary house in a pretty ordinary neighborhood in Chicago. I remember it. It was, it, I mean, it was nice but it was not much compared to the impressive homes that his colleagues would have had, you know, people on, on his, his level at Sears. But they didn't pick the house to impress people. Um, my grandparents told me about how they 
decided where to live in Chicago. What they said was this, their first priority in looking for a place to live was to find a church that was faithfully teaching the Bible, reaching out to the community where they could serve and be part of that, that body. They wanted a faithful church, and that was the first priority for them. So when they found a good church that they could be part of that was reaching out, that was faithfully teaching the Bible, they found a house in the area there where that church was so that they could be local and be part of that body. It was not a, a, an impressive house, but the location of the home gave them opportunities to serve people in the church. It gave them opportunities to serve people in the community. Um, they were serving meals. They were sometimes providing people's places to stay. Um, sometimes that could be powerful foreign politicians who were there because of Sears. Sometimes that would be uh, a friend from church. Sometimes it would be a factory worker that was new to the area and just getting settled. It just didn't matter. Everyone was welcome. Everyone was served in that house. Okay, so there's the two stories. Two lives, my great-grandfather Horace, my grandfather Robert. And on the surface, those stories are very different. Those lives are very different. If you measure those lives on the standards that most people in the world today measure with, then Robert's life is more successful in every way. He's more influential, more powerful, more wealthy, more memorable. Um, his name is still on books and influential in quality standards. I mean, if Robert had kept a journal, it would have been more interesting than the pipes. But if you dig deeper, there are actually fundamental similarities. Because what these two men had in common um, was greater than, than what was different. Because both of them, both of them actually sought to live out what Jesus said, that we must seek first the kingdom of God. I mean, their lives show that, that, that the way that priority comes out in the specifics of our lives on earth can look quite different. And that's okay. But the point is not all of, that all of us need to live a certain kind of life, that all of us need to be religious hermits or, or in full-time ministry or that all of us should be poor or all of us should be wealthy. The point is that we actually do seek First, the kingdom of God, actually first. Above everything else. Both Horace and Robert had ambitions. For both men, their first ambition, though, was to live faithfully for the Lord, to love him, to love what he loves, and give their lives and their strength for his kingdom. That was their primary ambition. So Horace did that by staying low, intentionally, to serve forgotten people on the streets. Robert did that by using his talents to reshape global industry standards and serve his church and fund global missions and all the rest. But for both of them, their first priority was God's kingdom. And that priority shaped everything else that they did whether the other things were considered big according to the success standards of the world or small, that was not the main 
point for them. Um, so what I want you to see from that is that God actually made us to be ambitious, to have dreams. These are good things. But we don't need to use our dreams anymore to prove ourselves, as we were talking about earlier. We don't need to show the world or prove to ourselves that um, our lives have significance and value based on the things that we accomplish or whatever. God has already given us significance and value and meaning far beyond uh, what we could ever create for ourselves anyway. So because we have those things freely, he has freed us to use our dreams, to use our ambitions, to pursue different kinds of goals. Now we're free to find our place in God's story, aim our dreams at the things God says matter most. And those are different than what the world considers the things that matter most. In Matthew 20, you can turn there. Matthew 20, there's a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. They come to him and they ask to sit in places of honor beside his throne in heaven, which if you think about it, that's a pretty, pretty bold request. Can we sit on the thrones beside you in heaven? And the other disciples uh, didn't like them asking that, probably because they wanted those seats. But here's what Jesus says to all of them. So if you're in Matthew 20, we'll look at uh, 25 to 28. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, the greatest among you will be your servant. So he's not looking for how much money or how many followers, how much influence we can collect for ourselves. He's looking at how we're using whatever we have, whatever he has given us. And whether the world measures that as big or small is really just not the point. It's how we're using it in loving and serving God and loving the people that he loves. even if the world sees them as unimportant. But God made them. He loves them. So in God's kingdom, I mean, the really important question is not how much do we have. That's what the world wants to know. But in God's kingdom, the question is really, what are you, how are you using what you have? What are you using it for? That's the important thing. You don't have to have a lot to live for God's kingdom. Remember, you can do it with just a cup of cold water. You can do it as a doorkeeper. You can do it with anything. But that's the important thing. But I want you to notice here as well that Jesus does not tell us to stop wanting to be great. Do you see that? He said, whoever wants to be great among you should stop. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say we should stop wanting to be great. He said, whoever wants to be great among you, though, must be your servant. 
So the path to greatness is not the path that the world usually takes. But you can want to be great in God's kingdom. But Jesus turned the ladder of greatness upside down. He said service is actually the path to real, lasting, eternal greatness. If you want the real thing, the path is the opposite way from the path that the world is taking. He changes our definition of what greatness actually is, of what it looks like. But he doesn't say we should stop being ambitious, um, that we should stop having ambitions, we should stop having dreams, we should stop wanting to be great. He redirects us to better ambitions, greater ones than the ones that we get so caught up in. Because he said, you know, what, what good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Why are you being ambitious for the world when you're going to lose it? What he's telling us is our ambitions are not too big. They're actually too small. We're settling for temporary things, for small things, for fragile things that will go away. We're giving our lives and our strength to get what things that we can never keep. Things that can never actually satisfy us. Things that can only fade away and be lost. When Jesus is offering us eternal treasure that can never fade away and is beyond anything we can even imagine. Our ambitions are actually too small. In Matthew 13, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. His friends probably thought he was crazy. He's selling all he has to buy a field. What is he doing? He's selling his comforts, his, his status symbols, his, whatever it is. But he, he knew that everything he had was nothing compared to what he had found. He was willing to give up everything because he had found something much greater worth. It was like giving up cheap McDonald's toys to have the crown jewels. He had found real treasure. So here's the thing, prioritizing God's kingdom is, is not something we do out of just like cold kind of duty or sacrificing ourselves um, because, you know, I guess we're supposed to, I guess we have to. This is something we do, like he said, in his joy, he went and sold all he had. In his joy, because he had, what he knew, he was giving what he could never keep, as Jim Elliott said, to gain what he could never lose. We give up the McDonald's toys, we gain the real treasure. The world's ambitions, no matter how big they are, they could be the biggest ambitions in the world, but they're, they're tiny compared to what God has already freely given his people. We already have a kingdom. So aim your ambitions at that kingdom. And you've aimed them at the real thing, the real treasure, the thing that actually satisfies, gives meaning, gives security, gives purpose, gives life, gives all the things that you really are looking for anyway. But the priorities of God's kingdom will often look quite small on the world's measuring system. They'll look like things that are, not, are, are working against you getting ahead. They look like insignificant, maybe weird sometimes, like a man selling everything to buy some dirt. 
but he knew there was treasure. And whether the world sees it or not, we know there's treasure too. So whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first, that's okay. You can want to be great, but it means going down in service. So let's think a little bit about what this looks like um, in real life. What does it look like in, in work, in school, um, in these kinds of settings? How can you make God's kingdom your first ambition in how you do your, your job, in how you do your schoolwork? Um, well, not living for your own greatness, not living for your own personal advancement at all costs is certainly a start. Not compromising your integrity, being willing to, um, to seek first the kingdom of God above all of those things. Recognizing that your work or your studies as well can be a way of honoring, and re- honoring God, reflecting his kingdom, his creativity, his provision, all of these things. There's, it's not like there's, um, there's spiritual things that we do and those are the really important things and then there's secular things we do and those are like not quite as important. These things, everything is important. God made the world. When he made Adam and Eve, he made them gardeners. Everything that we do in the world can be done for the Lord, for his kingdom. All of our work can be done honoring him, um, representing him as his representatives on earth. So if we gain success in that in the world's eyes, that's great. But remember that Jesus used his high position to climb down in service to people, um, to people like us. So if God gives you a high position, that's a great thing that you can use in service for others. And if God doesn't, if you don't have a high position, you can still serve in all the ways that really matter. It's not like your service matters less just because you're in a, a lower position. You can still do all the things that matter most. Uh, you can still live for the same purpose, to just generously give out of love, uh, out of the love and the provision that God has given you. Um, and I mean, sometimes there will be, as we were saying before, there will be choices that maybe don't advance your career, but you'll have to make choices to live for God's kingdom above um, your own advancement because of maybe they're asking you to do things that... Um, would be against God, but also there may be other kinds of choices that don't necessarily advance your career that you may make because you're living for the kingdom of God. I mean, it may be that you want, that you pull back on your career in certain ways so that you can spend time volunteering, so that you can um, be involved in missions somehow, or maybe you even take your career to another country um, where it's not, uh, where Jesus is not known as well, and you can use that, uh, that wouldn't be seen as an advancement of your career, but you could use your skills maybe in another context. Um, You know, your career is good and you can use that to honor the Lord, but it is not ultimate. We have an eternal kingdom to live for. And we can live for that even in how we treat our bosses, our coworkers, uh, in how we balance our life. 
My brother once was offered a promotion, but it would have meant traveling a lot. His children were small. He decided not to take that promotion because he needed the time with his children at that stage of his life. Now, he may take the promotion later when he's in a different stage of life. But we have to think about our whole life and what, what does God want in each area of our life? How can we seek to fulfill uh, what he wants for us in every, in every place? These are hard questions in the nitty-gritty of our lives, but they're so important. But what about your gifts or your talents, uh, uh, things like that? I mean, you, God has given you abilities. Um, if you're not trying to promote yourself and make yourself great the way the world does, then, I mean, maybe you should just give up on those, right? No, no, uh, not at all, not at all. Uh, when you think about it, I mean, who gave you those gifts? Who gave you those abilities? God gave them to you. So that means that he made, you know, he did that. He made you for a purpose in his story. Uh, the purpose is not to make everyone think you're great. That's true. The purpose is to love God and to love others. But does that mean that you shouldn't do things well? Absolutely not. It means you should do things well in, to honor him. So I think you should absolutely lean in to the gifts and abilities that God has gave, given you. You should work hard. You should develop those skills to the best of your ability, but for a different reason. Not to prove that you're the greatest and win everybody's applause, but so that you can give and serve others with those abilities to the best that you can. So you should develop the abilities so that you can use them better in the service of others, in the service of the Lord. I mean, it just, just okay, so we have, a, we have good food uh, here. Um, we have a, a good cook serving us, that's, and that's a wonderful thing. But you, maybe you can cook as well. Um, maybe you can cook, but you're not really like a, a, a five-star chef. I'm, a, I'm like a zero-star chef, but, um, but I can eat. Uh, but maybe, you know, you don't act, if you're going to serve others with that ability, you don't actually have to be like a Michelin star chef to make a meal that's good for someone who um, could use encouragement to have somebody over that you could share that meal with and um, share your life with. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to make it a good meal. You should actually try to make it the best that you can. It doesn't have to be restaurant, you know, five-star quality. But, I mean, if you can make it that good, why not? Right? You can serve people better with it when you, make, when you invest in those skills. Uh, or when the people that are playing instruments, they're using that. Uh, then they're doing it well. Uh, and they're using that to bless us here. Um, it doesn't mean you have to be the next viral YouTube star. You can develop your skills to use to serve others. Do you see? That's, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Um, so I think you should, you should absolutely lean into whatever skills and abilities God has given you, but not, not to be like competing with, I'm going to be the greatest there ever was. It's pretty hard to do these days anyway. Um, but I'm going to serve people to the best of my ability in any way I can. And do you know what? If I don't have that much ability in something, but I can still serve them, I can still do that. I don't have to worry about 
that. I can just do it anyway. If, if it's needed, and I'm not very good at it, maybe I can learn, but I've got to maybe just start by just doing it badly, and that's okay. Um, but I mean, this comes out in, in every kind of area of life. It definitely comes out at home. Um, we can love God. We can prioritize time with him by seeking first his kingdom. One of the ways that my grandfather, Robert Peach, um, the way that he navigated the pressure of being in a high power position in Sears, one of the key things that he said helped him was relentlessly having a daily quiet time in the morning to keep his head focused uh, on the Lord so that when the... Um, when all the challenges and stresses and all the things were pulling on him at work, which are going to be pulling in lots of different directions that aren't necessarily um, honoring to, to the Lord, but he had to have that focus first thing in the morning to make sure that he wouldn't lose focus later. And I think that's, that, starts, um, that starts privately in, in the home. It starts and uh, can be done as a family as well. Uh, God sees what other people don't. You can serve him even yourself, but you can also serve the people who live with you, whether it's your family or housemates or if it's there are people around you, uh, neighbors and all, we can, we can lean into loving and serving the people there. And if you're, you know, if you, even if you're doing just daily kinds of chores, these things are important. Jesus said he, he rewards cups of cold water. Um, we pray that we, Jesus taught us to pray, you know, give us this day our daily bread, right? But that's, we're asking God for just a daily, just regular kind of provision. But that means if we are making daily bread for someone else, we are doing God's work. We are joining him in providing that daily provision. So we are, we are reflecting the work of God, even when we're just making a simple meal even when we're just washing the dishes, we are showing his provision um, for them, his care for them. And that is actually most of the way that God works in our lives is in ordinary, everyday kinds of provisions. So when we do those same kinds of things for others, we are reflecting him. Um, and we can do that, uh, we can do that by, you know, showing hospitality as well. And once again, like you don't have to just impress everybody with your hospitality by how great your house is or whatever. The point is not to impress them. The point is to serve them and to serve them well. Your house doesn't even necessarily have to be all that clean, although maybe, you know, maybe that you could serve them better if it was. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the point is that we welcome people into our lives. Um, but it, it impacts... Uh, it impacts every area, I mean, but one of the big ones as well is, is your church. Um, if we're seeking first the kingdom of God, then we are called to be part of the body of Christ. Um, we, are, we are part of God's family, um, the ambassadors of his kingdom, and we do that together. And our, our commonality together is not based on uh, common interests is not based on that we're all the same. It's based on that we are the people of God, the children of God together. And so when we look at the, the church, we're seeing our family in God. 
Uh, and so seeking first the kingdom of God means, definitely means that we need to be engaged and, and serving um, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, and, and very practically, like when, if you're there on a Sunday and there are visitors coming in um, who don't have anybody to talk to, or if there are people who are struggling, um, you know, are you going to give your time and attention to them like Jesus has done for you? Uh, or you know, uh, maybe are you going to recognize the value of people who may not be in your life situation or may not be very like you at all, um, but giving them, showing them concern and care and value? Um, people, yeah, the children, the um, people who are at a different life stage than you or whatever it is. Um, having, having the fellowship in the body of Christ is just a wonderful thing. Uh, but we have fellowship across all boundaries. And we need to show that and reflect that in how we view each other and how we, um, how we live that out. So um, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it there. But I mean, we could talk about, we could talk about lots of other areas, of course, but the main thing is that we actually really do seek first the kingdom of God and recognize that that's really where the treasure is, that our ambitions for all the things that the world has to offer, all those things will go. We can seek the real treasure in the kingdom of God, and that can look very, very differently in different lives, and that's okay. But the point is that our ambitions are aimed at God's kingdom. Any questions briefly? That I have been served. Um, I mean, I've been served in so many ways. Uh, I've been, I've been absolutely given so much by so many people. Um, I think my church growing up, um, they, they did a lot to kind of take me, take me on and give me opportunities to try things and to, um, to even start to serve others. And I think actually even in giving me those opportunities, which I wasn't even doing very well, they were, they were generously serving, um, to, to, to help when they could have done it a lot better. Um, I don't know. That was the first thing that came to mind. Thing also have a split to the uh, in, in 
in the end, the area we are talking about. And that is the opposition causing us because it looks like um, the kind of will of God that God will do in terms of Yeah, well, I think as Christians, we should, we probably won't fit perfectly into any political movement. We can support what is good, but we need to also be willing to call out what is not good. We need to be guided by scripture, not by a political camp. Um, that can be very hard to sort out. Uh, but we shouldn't just avoid politics either. It is important and it affects people's lives. Um, but we should be a voice that calls for true justice. Um, and that means, that means calling to, towards what God, uh, God's standards. Um, that, that, is a, that is a very challenging thing. But it can be done with great good. Like you think of someone like William Wil Wilberforce, right? Who was a, deeply involved in politics. And what did he do with that? He didn't use it, leverage it for his own advantage. He used his position to advocate and eventually to see um, the emancipation of slaves in the British Empire, right? So that's, he took the high position that God put him in and used it to serve others who could not benefit him. Um, so I think we can, we can that's a, an example of, yeah, politics can be messy, uh, but we need to take it and, and try to use it for as much good for as many people as possible. Yeah, how can we know what kind of gifts we have? Um, well, one of the ways you know that is just by trying things um, and maybe doing them poorly. Uh, my church gave me those opportunities, right? And, uh, but then if, so it's, it's just kind of, if there's a, if there's a need, and you can meet that need, um, even if you can't do it very well, you can volunteer. Um, and then as you, as, you do, as you do things, then you'll probably see, well, actually, maybe this, this is a much better fit for me than that. And uh, you, can, you can work towards your strengths. And also, you, other people probably have some idea as well. You know, in the body of Christ, we... We can help each other with these things. You know, we can encourage one another and say, I saw you doing that and that's really, you know, you, maybe you have the gift of encouragement or something it is. And you, we can encourage each other with these things as well to, to lean into the strengths and the, and the gifts that God has given us for the body of Christ. Good. Well, if you have any other questions, I'd love to talk more about it, um, but we'll, we'll call it for now. <laughs>